Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 7, The Sure Thing. Today's proverb is a classic English proverb. I don't know who said this originally. I don't know if anyone knows where this proverb comes from. But it's one of a number of English proverbs that sounds like it probably originated from farmers. It has an agrarian, well-worn quality to it. That strikes me as it... uh, as it came from someone who had worked a lot with his hands. Classic English proverb. Here it is. You've heard it before. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I'll admit that when I was younger, I heard this quote frequently enough, and had no idea what it meant. I remember being 15, 16, 17, and hearing this proverb, along with other proverbs like, a stitch in time saves nine, and having absolutely no idea what it meant. I think I must have gone for most of my 20s without hearing it. And then I encountered it again, maybe around the time that I had children. And it made a lot more sense. At this point in my life, my understanding of the proverb is that it has to do with preferring 
the sure thing. One sure thing is worth two possible things. And thus there's a kind of pessimistic quality to the quote. The quote seems to be spoken by someone who's generally of the impression that that things go wrong, that things usually go wrong. And that a sure thing is a rare thing and not to be given up lightly. Now, the temptation, of course, that the quotation wants to encounter in us is the belief that we can, with some risk, convert the sure thing into an even better sure thing, and that the risk involved in giving up the sure thing is worth it. People are tempted to believe that their knowledge of the world, that their skill, that their luck, that their connections can make risk worth it. So I'm not saying that luck can't ever get you anywhere. I'm not saying that a good connection isn't worth pursuing or that people don't develop friendships that prove profitable over the long haul. But the quote, I believe, is more concerned not with greater success emerging naturally as a man matures and hones his skill. The quote, rather, is concerned with what we have to give up in order to risk our own or wager our own skill against the unknown. So the bird in hand, I'm assuming, I'm assuming that the quote implies this, that the bird in hand has to be let go in order to acquire the two that are seen but wild and still in the bush. Within the logic of the quote, apparently, you can't hold on to one bird in one hand and try to grab another one with your left hand. I think the quote assumes that in order to acquire the two birds in the bush, you would have to give up the one in hand. And the wisdom of the quote is, don't, don't do it. Don't risk the sure thing for the better thing. This quote reminds me a bit of an idea that Aristotle presents in his rhetoric. I find myself quoting Aristotle's rhetoric often lately. I am teaching it to a rhetoric class right now. And as part of our catechism, we're reciting these lengthy passages on what is typical of young men and what is typical of old men. I'd highly encourage you to track these passages down. I find they have endless applications in the life of a teacher and in the life of a middle-aged man. Here's a quote from Aristotle's description of old men 
The elderly lack confidence in the future, partly through experience, for most things go wrong or anyhow turn out worse than one expects, and partly because of their cowardice. Aristotle seems to assume that elderly people are more pessimistic than young people, and that this is because old people keep long records of wrong. And as is stated somewhere, on the subject of gambling, rather, which maybe I'll come back to in a minute, you remember the big hands you lost, but not the big hands that you win. And so the elderly collect memories of all of their great losses. And their advice to the young tends to be toward the sure thing. So maybe this proverb, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, is more of an older man's saying, which makes it all the more difficult for young people to accept it. I know there's a sense in which proverbs come from nowhere. Proverbs don't need context. They don't require foundation. A proverb is supposed to stand on its own. But as I've been doing this show, I've realized that some proverbs seem to emerge from the even-keeled perspective of the mature man, which for Aristotle is between 35 and 49. And then other proverbs seem to emerge from a darker and more pessimistic perspective typical of the elderly which for Aristotle is probably going to be north of 60. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. The proverb defies the gambler's logic. Or not just any gambler. Specifically, the card gambler, like the blackjack gambler. Because the blackjack player has $10 and is fairly certain that with a little luck and maybe a little skill and a little know-how, he can convert $10 into 20 You go to a casino, you go to a blackjack table, and the dealer has lots of birds in the bush, so to speak. And you've got a few in hand. And if you're feeling lucky, or if you're under the delusion that skill and knowledge are on your side, you believe that you can convert all these birds in hand for all of the dealers' birds in the bush. And then all is all that's really required is a little luck, a little knowledge. And the blackjack player believes that the risk is worth it. Maybe because it all seems so easy. It all seems so possible. And if you walk around a casino for 10 minutes, you're going to watch a lot of people win. 
you're going to see a lot of people win if you stand at a blackjack table for 10 minutes and observe what goes on you're going to see someone win three or four hands in a row i mean just by the numbers just by sheer luck somebody's going to win three or four hands in a row if you stand at a blackjack table for 10 minutes you're going to see it happen and you're going to start to think that could be me too it would be very easy for that to be me it's not illogical it's not irrational then i could win three or four hands in a row and if i start with ten dollars to win once would be 20 to let it ride would be 40 to let it ride would be 80 to let it ride would be 160 the right 10 minutes and i could convert a bird in hand for 16 birds in the bush and it's not unreasonable to think that could happen. It very much could. It happens all the time. Of course, the blackjack player says this. It happens all the time. And beyond the blackjack table, we've seen people convert a bird in hand for two more birds that they have stealthily tracked and cornered and devise some great strategy for acquiring. We think. We think we've seen this. We think there's a sure thing out there that we haven't gotten yet. I would say around 18 years ago, about, I spent a summer playing blackjack. It was really no longer than a summer. I was 21. I had a lousy job. I didn't have much money. I didn't lose a whole lot of money playing blackjack, but that's only because I didn't have much money to begin with. It was really just a summer. I lost a couple hundred dollars which isn't much, but it was more than I had to lose at the time. And I quickly realized what a bad deal it was. I quickly realized what a bad exchange, what a bad trade the whole thing was. And that I couldn't afford to lose and that I was going to lose every time I went. But in the two or three months where I was frequently going... I would play, I would lose, and then I'd wonder, when will I have enough money to play again? I remember a couple times taking items of value that I had and converting them into cash at a pawn shop. I think part of me knew when I was doing this that this was all headed in a bad direction and that I couldn't afford to keep doing this. And the thing was, I never won. I can't remember a single time I ever won at blackjack when I went. Never. Which might be why I quit so quickly. But that gambler's logic is because it's so easy to convert that bird in hand to two in the bush, you start looking at all the birds you have, so to speak, 
and you can only see what you don't have. The gambler's logic makes you incredibly ungrateful for what you have because everything you have that's not in a liquid cash form seems a waste of space. And so you become ungrateful for what you have. You start thinking how you would prefer to trade the objects that you have for cash so that you could turn it into more cash, even though you can't. There's a number of sayings that are attached to the life of a gambler. One of which is the house always wins. Until you've spent a couple hours at a, at a casino or a, a blackjack table, it's hard to appreciate what the saying means, what it really means that the house always wins. Because from a certain standpoint, that's not true, and that's what gets people into the doors of a casino. The house doesn't always win. In the short term, in the short term, the house doesn't always win. The house always wins in the long run, but I would wager that most people who go into a casino at some point after walking in the door have more money than they walked in with. Most people, I mean, having watched a number of people play blackjack for long periods of time, I can tell you that people go up big, they go down big, they go up big, they go down and eventually, they go down and then they leave the table. This is the way that it happens with most people. And even for the person with enough self-control to leave the table when things are going well, they would often come back an hour or two later. Or you'd see them again a week later, two weeks later, and they would go down. So perhaps you've seen someone trade a bird in hand four or two that were in the bush, and by luck or skill, acquire more birds. And in the short term, the proverb doesn't seem apt. A bird in hand is not worth two in the bush. A bird in hand is a waste of space. Let it go and go find two birds. Of course, the question is what you're going to do with two birds and whether you can be content with two birds. And if you have two birds... What's going to keep you from trying to convert those two birds into four birds? A lot of what this quote is about is happiness and where happiness comes from and what happiness is. When I say happiness, I don't mean pleasure. I mean contentment. Because... Unhappy people can become unhappier. And unhappy people can become happy. But here's the wager of this quote. Here's the meaning of this quote. Happy people cannot become happier. Now, if you want to be very technical, you could say 
that a man has become happier, quote unquote, when he goes from being unhappy to being happy. But I don't know that that's so much an increase in happiness as it is a change in condition. That's not a quantitative difference. That's a qualitative difference. That's my argument. That in going from unhappy to happy, it's not a quantitative change, but a qualitative change. I think this quote means there's no quantitative happier. And that happier is always a delusion. Because happy is concerned, I know that happy can mean a number of different things. It's one of those philosophically ambiguous terms. And you hear people use it on all sides in all different ways. And and sometimes you hear theologians or what have you rail against happiness and say joy is not like happiness. Um, and sometimes you hear theologians or preachers say that happiness is not like contentment. But when I say happy and I claim that there's no happier state, I mean happy in terms of contentment, satisfaction. There's no higher state of satisfaction. You're satisfied or you're not. Now, pleasure is endlessly increasable. There's always more pleasure to be had. And once you fall prey to the logic of pleasure as opposed to the logic of satisfaction, there's never any reason to stop. I wrote about this at length in How to Be Unlucky. Uh, the reason why people keep going back to a buffet over and over and over again, even after they're satisfied, is because food still tastes good. It still offers pleasure, even when you're full, even when you're satisfied, even when your soul has told your body that's enough. There's still more pleasure to be had from food. So if we mean happiness and pleasure to be the same thing, then yes, there's a happier state you can be in, in the sense that there's a more pleasurable state you can be in. Always you can increase the amount of pleasure you have. But if we're taking happiness to mean satisfaction or contentment, there is no happier state. There's no such thing as a greater state of happiness. There's only happiness. There's mere happiness. This comes up often enough in Paradise Lost. Satan cannot offer Adam and Eve what they already have. And Adam and Eve are created blessed, they're created good, and they're happy. And the Lord sends the archangel Raphael from heaven to earth to give Adam a series of lectures on how he should conduct his life. If you've read Paradise Lost, this is around book five, six, seven. And when God sends Raphael, his task is to instruct Adam and Eve on the nature of their happiness. Adam and Eve are happy, and the Lord says, show them their happiness. And Raphael's lesson to them is that you were created happy, thank God. That you continue to be happy is your own business, though. If you are obedient to God, you will continue in your happiness. But you can turn your back on this happiness. So, thus warned, when Satan comes to tempt Adam and Eve, he can't offer them what they already have. 
he has to offer them happierness. He says, you could be happier with more. I know you're happy now. I know you're not miserable now. But you would become like a god if you ate from the tree. And if you became like a god, you would be happier. Now, the reason why I don't think there's such a thing as happier is because the man who believes that he could be happier loses the happiness that he has. In order to believe that you could be happier, you have to turn up your nose at the happiness you have. Now, you could be more virtuous. But being more virtuous and being happier are two very different things. Happiness is a state of contentment or satisfaction. It's not always pleasant. Virtue is not always pleasant. And when Satan comes to offer Adam and Eve greater happiness, he's not offering them more virtue. He's offering them more knowledge, more power, greater ability. He doesn't tell them, if you eat of the tree, you'll be more kind. You'll be more generous. He says you'll be more powerful. You'll have greater control over everything. You'll become like God. So he doesn't offer them virtue. He offers them power. When Satan thinks of God, he thinks of power. And as soon as the idea of being happier enters Eve, she immediately becomes unhappy. The idea of happier robs people of their happiness. And thus they go out, in a sense, seeking for what they've just given up. You give up your happiness and then you immediately go looking for it. Again, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush means there's no happier state out there. You've got to learn to live with what you've got. You've got to learn to live with your lot in life. The man who thinks there's a greater, happier state out there. is not simply going to risk his happiness to achieve it. He's going to destroy his happiness. And he's not going to be content with it when he gets it back. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.